So the last, uh, the last week or so, a couple of weeks, have actually been fairly interesting. Um, this morning I, I had a, a treat. Um, I got to look in the eyes of a brother that I haven't seen for almost 30 years, um, a brother who actually baptized me in a pond at the University of Kansas 30 years ago. Um, and I got to look at his face, and it reminded me of a, a community that uh, I was once a part of. Um, I also got a, a letter in the mail um, from someone that I hadn't heard from in about eight years. It reminded me again of another community that I was once a part of. Uh, a friend called me from Boston that I hadn't talked to in almost uh, 15 years. Uh, reminded me of another community that I was once a part of. Um, and as um, children of the king, we are parts of his community, his kingdom, um, and we find expression in different places in different ways. Uh, but the passage we're going to look at this morning is about that. It's about the community of God. Um, it's about uh, what sits at the heart and the center of the community um, of the kingdom of God. But it's found in a passage that's not usually associated with community and kingdom. Um, we're going to be looking at John chapter 12 this morning. Um, we're looking at Jesus on the way to the cross. And um, we're not gonna, I'm not actually going to read the whole thing because I'd like to kind of walk us through uh, verse by verse and let them sort of unfold naturally, if you will. But we're going to be in John chapter 12. So if you want to turn there, um, we're going to start in verse 1. But first, let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us in it. Um, please be with us now, Father. I pray that you would speak uh, through my words, that our hearts would be attentive to your voice. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 12 starts, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. <clears throat> Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So we've set the stage. Uh, Passover is um, uh, about to happen. We're at six days before Passover. Uh, Jerusalem, which uh, usually was populated with 80 to 100,000 people, is going to swell to up around 300 or, or about 3 million people coming in. So if you picture this, here's what I'd like you to picture. Jerusalem sits and those who are dispersed begin to trickle into Jerusalem for the Passover for the celebration of the Passover, for remembering and being reminded of God's faithfulness in delivering them from Egypt. And as they trickle in, Jesus and the disciples are also making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. But Jesus knows why he's going to Jerusalem. He's walking into Jerusalem to sacrifice his life for behalf and on behalf of his children to pay the price for our sin that we could never pay um, on our own. But he's walking in to die, and he's walking in with a midst and with a throng of people. Three million is what it will look like, and they're coming in to celebrate, and he's going in to die. I don't know if you know that kind of um, loneliness or that kind of um, uh, sitting in a place with a lot of people, but you're very much alone. My, my wife's father... Um, had a disease called Guillain-Barre. And there was a time that, that she talks about when they were in the hospital right after uh, he had been diagnosed and he'd lost control 
uh, and function of all of his muscles. And he was in the hospital bed on a respirator and she would sit in the hospital room um, with her father there. And then she'd look out the window and people were living life, doing normal things. And she just felt that, that tension of how could they not know what's happening to my dad, um, that, that loneliness. Well, Jesus is on his way to the cross and knows where he's going. Um, but he stops. He stops at Bethany where Lazarus lives and he stops for a dinner with friends. And it's a meal that's going to become a commentary on community. Um, what the people of God and the community of God is to look like then and is to look like after he leaves. Because present at that dinner are the two extremes of human experience. There's unbridled gratitude and joy in Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. He's back in their midst. And then in Jesus, you have a man about to walk willingly to his death. One emotion, joy, that usually brings other people in and wants to be shared. And another, fear, that tends to isolate and push you off and draw into self. And Jesus, in both word and action, makes it clear that those two things belong together. When you look at Jesus' life, in his darkest times, he wanted to be with those who loved him. Here, he's on his way to Jerusalem. Pain and tragedy are looming before him. He wants to be with his friends. And in Gethsemane, before his arrest, where he takes Peter and James and John aside, and he goes and he prays, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I think Jesus wanted to be with them because he needed them. He needed the presence of Peter and James and John, not unlike Aslan who walked to the stone table with Lucy and Susan. Do you remember? That's such a sweet, where Aslan is on his way and he knows he's going to sacrifice his life and he takes comfort in Susan and Lucy walking with him. Jesus wants the presence of his friends. He's overwhelmed to the point of death and that is okay. That he needed his friends is okay. It's not sinful to be fully human. To say that Jesus was afraid is okay because he was. He was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He prayed that the Father would take the cup from him if possible. And for Jesus to want his friends in trial also gives us a greater insight to who we are as images, as people created in his image. It gives us insight into the Imago Dei. We're reminded that we are meant to live our lives in joy and sorrow together. People who are rejoicing and people who are hurting are supposed to be living in community. And in Bethany, I think that Jesus also needed the hope embodied by Lazarus's family. He needed, at least wanted, a real life reminder of the joy that followed the resurrection. And he saw it there. And Lazarus and Mary and Martha they also needed Jesus to be there because they needed to be reminded that he was the source of joy. And the source of joy cannot be replaced by the joy of the blessing. We need reminders of the truths that we already know and in ways that can only come in community. Uh, last week, I got, an, I got a text from a friend. It was totally out of the blue, an unexpected text, and I want to read it to you, at least most of it. Here's what it said. 
You've been on my heart and in my prayers, and I felt like I just wanted you to know that you are not alone. Sometimes it can feel like one little thing after another, and then one big thing after another, and it all adds up and can be so stressful. May you, amid the frustrations and uncertainties, sense the kind presence of our good God who knows and who is not panicked by your frustrations and weaknesses. Grant, you are known and loved far more than you could ever imagine. I know you know that, but sometimes we need others to tell us what we already know because then it can become slightly more believable. We need community to remember the hope that we have in trial and that the source of our blessings in joy that both might be a little more tangible and a little easier to hold on to. So it's into this, this dinner of, of divine community um, that comes something really beautiful. Scripture says that Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Martha is serving dinner. Jesus is there reclining at the table with the disciples, and Lazarus is there eating. And Lazarus is alive. He's been rescued from the grave. Jesus has called him from death. And Mary, who sees the whole thing, is overcome with gratitude. She's overcome with joy. Adoration wells up inside of her. But adoration, at its fullest, happens when it's embodied and when it's expressed in community. Her, her adoration is humble, but it's extravagant. She places herself at Jesus' feet, and she drenches his feet with perfume that I'm guessing none of us in this room could afford. It was worth an entire year's wages. She pours the perfume on his feet as an act of sheer love. And then she takes her hair, lets her hair down, and begins to wipe the perfume on his feet. Did she get too much? Maybe. She's cleaning it off with her hair. It's beautiful. The room is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This intimate, beautiful, loving act. It is so very right. It is also somewhat countercultural and somewhat scandalous because sitting at the feet of a teacher was the place for disciples. And for a woman to take her hair down in public was considered inappropriate. But then like a, like a living commentary, if you will, the text says that the room was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And the, the last time in scripture when we hear any mention of a smell is when Lazarus was in the grave and Jesus was warned, oh Lord, don't roll back, don't roll back the stone. He's been in there four days and there's bound to be a bad odor. The smell of death has been replaced with the fragrance of life and beauty and community. Still, the, the questionable nature of what Mary did opens the door for what comes next. This community is about to run into its greatest threat. And its greatest threat is a heart that is focused on self. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So in the midst of a celebration of both life and the life giver, 
Jesus and his disciples and his friends are eating and drinking. Mary ups the ante with his spontaneous worship and adoration of Jesus. The room smells like heaven. And Judas speaks up and puts a dagger into the heart of the whole thing. Why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? He said it because he was a thief. His words were meant to do several things. One, they were meant to ridicule her. Two, they were meant to question Jesus. How could you let her waste something that was so valuable? But they were words that were spoken from selfish desire, from disdain that he missed out on the cash. And in his anger, he tries to look righteous. He tries to look genuine. And it is at its core evil. Look at how this evil is embodied. It's logical, it's practical, and it even sounds spiritual. Passover is here. It's our custom to give to the poor on Passover. Why wasn't the money sold? We could have done so much good with it. He made her worship look wasteful. In other words, he tried to tickle the ears of the room to make himself sound spiritual, logical, thoughtful, Genuine, like that guy who says, look, I don't want to be that guy, but you know the next thing that comes out of his mouth, he is that guy. The key is that at the very heart, his eyes were focused inward. Jesus is there being adored and loved and worshipped. But Judas's eyes are turned away from the Savior and inward upon self. They're drawn away from the rightful recipient of worship. And he invites everyone else to join him. And at this point, all eyes had to have been on Jesus waiting for him to answer Judas's objection. You can imagine what what the room must have felt like. This is an extravagant act. That's a perfume worth a whole lot of money. There's a woman sitting at the feet of a rabbi, of a teacher. She's let her hair down in public company. I think it, it could almost be the type of thing where it was so beautiful in the moment as she's doing it, that no one would have thought twice. No one would have questioned what was happening. It would have just been beautiful worship and adoration. But as soon as Judas says one word, everyone's eyes go, oh yeah, she is a woman. Oh yeah, she is sitting at Rabbi's feet. Oh yeah, she let her hair down. She's not supposed to do that. Oh yeah, that's a whole lot of money. Should we have given it to the poor? Is this right? The heart turned inward, focused on self, brings question onto her act of worship. And then Jesus, in kind of a get me, get behind me Satan moment, says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Leave her alone. Um, Good translation there is, should she instead have saved it for the day of my burial? I'm here with her now. She's adoring me. She's overfilled with gratitude and worship. And what she's doing is exactly right. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross and her adoration is indeed right. And then the end of the passage, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. They came not only because of him, but they wanted to see Lazarus who was raised from the dead. The chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. We close with a scene like at the beginning. 
Jesus is walking into his death. So we pull back a little bit and we look at the narrative that's kind of unfolded. Jesus is on his way to tragedy and he walks into a community of joy and the two belonged together. They needed each other and we need each other. We have to have each other in joy and in sorrow. Our communities have to be made up of believers who are rejoicing and believers who are hurting. In the heart of our community though must always be adoration, worship of Jesus, like in the middle of that dinner. And I know that this idea of pouring uh, perfume on Jesus's feet and wiping them with our hair is foreign to us. Jesus is not before us reclined at a table. We don't have pints of pure nard. I doubt any of us would recognize nard if we smelled it. Um, so how do we adore him? What does that look like in community now? And among the primary ways we wash his feet with perfume now is to love those that he loves as he loves them, to value others above ourselves and to look to the interests of others first in relating to one another, to have the mindset of Jesus who gave himself for us and considered his own life nothing. To pour the perfume on his feet is to lay down our lives for our friends to love one another as Jesus has loved us. It's through this tangible, embodied adoration of the Father that we remind one another and ourselves of the hope that we have in our Savior. That is what Christian community is. Hurting people and rejoicing people, speaking the gospel to one another in word and loving one another above self. Glorifying Jesus together. But we need to be aware that that type of community, that type of love, this adoration of Jesus is wholeheartedly countercultural. Hearts turned outward towards the other first is even anti-cultural, if you will. Judas's call to focus on self instead of savior is the way of the world. And the world will make focusing on self seem logical, practical, and sometimes even spiritual. If you think about practical ways this happen, happens, we could look to our own hearts, but I think one of the most telling ways right now, I'm guessing every single person in this room has a smartphone in their pocket, on your body, maybe in your purse. And anytime you pick up a smartphone, you're fighting this because anytime you open an app, there are thousands of people working on the other side of that app to make sure you stay focused on one thing, you. They want you thinking about your desires, your longings, your preferences. They want you on their apps as long as they can possibly keep you. They will feed you whatever they can to keep you there. They will draw you in. They want your attention because they want you. Because you are the product that they then sell and monetize. It's not neutral. When you open a cell phone app, the desire is to make you turn your heart inward to self. Now that's just, a, that's just one very small example. It is really the way of the world. It's the way of the world without 
Jesus. But we need each other. We have to have each other as believers in community. We have to be reminded that we are members of the kingdom of God, that we are to love the king and we are to love like the king. We have to put one another first. We have to speak reminders of the truths of the Christian faith to one another. We, in our joy, need to see our brothers and sisters who are hurting and see them still adoring Jesus and be reminded that it's not our blessing that is the key, it's the one who gives the blessing. And that we might speak hope to those who are hurting, that they might be reminded of the hope that they have in Christ. And we do that as a community because those roles will shift. Those who are experiencing joy now will be those who are hurting. And those who hurt will also come to know joy. Now, none of this is new. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to pay the price for our sins. You know that it's a price that none of us could pay. He's going to the cross that we might be adopted as his children, that we might become children of the King, children of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, and living lives that reflect him, lives that love outward and that put others first, lives that love like Jesus loved, and lives that foreshadow the new heavens and the new earth, that which is actually our true home. Usually, I tend to shy away from, from using the behavior of, of a person like Mary as an example, but friends, like Mary, we have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Judases are gonna be out there surrounding us in our pockets everywhere. It is the call of the world. But in the community of Christ, our eyes have to be focused solely, squarely, always on our King, letting our hearts well up in joy and gratitude and adoration that we might love like he loved. That's what Christian community is. And praise God that that's what he calls us to and makes us able to do and live in. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and King, um, Father, thank you for being our gracious and merciful God. Thank you, Lord, for um, not being a, a God of platitudes and dogmas, but a God who knows us, who knows our fears, who knows our temptations, who knows what it feels like to be alone and scared. Um, Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, Give us deep desire and conviction uh, to live in community in our brokenness and in our joy. May we meet you by your spirit there and may we love others as you love. Father, please be with us this day, I ask. In Jesus' name and in the power of his spirit, amen.